they're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Bye 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 I'm all right, David Hellard. How are you? I am. I'm. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm. Uh... Oh, that's a, that's an upgrade. Yes. I'm fed up. From totally fed up. <laughs> well, I'm. I'm currently. I'm dealing with fires. I'm putting out fires, should we say? Um... Oh, and that metaphorical <laughs> fires, or ones that you've started. Well. A little bit of both. Had quite a weekend where I thought, "Ooh, wow, that's that got out of hand." Um, <laughs> what did you do? Well, trying to think well, how much I can say on this. So, oh God, what? <laughs> you're, just, like, you're actively thinking, "What can't I say?" This must be serious. <laughs> so, um, Normally, this is I'm going to tell you everything, and then I'll go, Nick. Uh, actually, <laughs> uh, I wasn't supposed to say any of that. <laughs> Well, basically, um, before I tell the story, firstly, we're doing an intro into the, the guests each, each week now because we're so professional. So we've got Devin Kelly coming up, which is a, just a lovely guy. And he talks about body dysmorphia and how he really struggled with it while he was um, he, he basically lost a lot, lot of weight through running. That became his identity. And then he went to college where he was on the track team and he really got caught up in it. Really, really interesting. So hang on to that. But before then, <laughs> ooh, so I, on Saturday morning, Briggsy was racing uh, Maverick Race. What does that mean? I think it's called Maverick Race. It's a, a, a race series that apparently is really good. Yet, yet to go to one. Uh, she, so she's doing a half marathon. Oh, just normal running. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought it was like, it sounded a bit ocr <laughs> <laughs> It right. does, doesn't it? It does. Maverick race. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like a a normal race. Yeah, I mean, Mavericks. Mavericks quite a fun word, isn't it, for a race? Like, given how dull most races are, or just how plain most races are. But anyway, um, so Briggsy was going to do this half marathon, and we we kind of said, "Oh, cool, maybe." I'll, and and I was originally potentially going to go down and kind of support until I figured it was raining. And <laughs> wow, look at that commitment. <laughs> but also, the reality is, in a kind of semi lockdown, that there's not going to be many people hanging out, and it's not as if I can really go and chat to loads of people and cheer anyone on. Yeah. So, it, it, was just... it was awful at the weekend. Yeah, it oh. was horrific. That's not, that's not, it's barely running weather, let alone spectating weather. Yeah, exactly. And so, I, I ducked out of that one, but we we kind of said, oh, maybe I'll join you for lunch. Like, let let me know where you're going. So by about four o'clock in the afternoon, I was pretty bored and was in a bit of a huff. Like, what oh. time? wait a minute, what time had this half marathon started? Started, I don't know, nine thirty, I'd say. So I was expecting to, you know, a lunchtime. Hey, we're going to do this. So why don't you meet us here? <laughs> so. By four o'clock. Marathon time, the same as mine. What? Like... <laughs> it was it was a trail half marathon, and uh, I think she was just doing it with friends for because she was she was running London Marathon next day. 
oh, yeah. she was just doing it for um shits and giggles as such so by about four o'clock i was in a little bit of a huff of myself like oh, i'm so bored just do work and oh why didn't she text me oh what a terrible girlfriend um so i think i got text saying do you want to come out for a drink and i'm like yes i'm going straight out for a drink um so then went out drinking quite heavily get to the end of the night and we were drinking around the corner from our house so a few of us came back and it just so happened that we discovered some goods that we'd been keeping from glastonbury last year need i say more um (laughs) (laughs) but said goods i wasn't allowed to 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 use said goods because they were kind of part owned by me part owned by a friend and we'd agreed we'd have them together so i'd said we're not allowed to to uh to partake unless i won't say their name x has cleared it and uh, my, my friend luke said yep that's all cleared yeah yeah checked he's, he's cool he said get involved so then we got involved had a bit of a crazy night until about three in the morning suddenly guess who turns up my house x <laughs> matt matt who who would be the weirdest Matt to turn up at your house at three in the morning? Unannounced. Well, Matt Fitzgerald. For... <laughs> that would be the weirdest. Matt Simpson. <laughs> and that's not weird. That's not that weird, actually. <laughs> he can sniff that stuff out from a, from a 25 mile radius. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> Turns out he may be quite friendly with, uh, with someone in our group so um so that weirded me out firstly but also i was going down to meet my parents the next day for a lovely family <laughs> family meal so set my alarm um wake up in a a bit of a, a state. Say wake up in a bin <laughs> <laughs> in a bin but wake up suddenly like oh no oh wow i've set my alarm oh wow i've got to get to winchester come into the lounge it's it's not looking good so then do a speed clean, which I was actually quite pleased with myself for. Go meet the parents, have a great time. Everything's good until this morning. Briggsy then texts me. She's cycling back. I'm taking the train back. So where's my laptop? Uh-oh. And uh, she couldn't find her laptop. So she was obviously not happy about that because the... Uh, it's a laptop. Yeah, and the suggestion was maybe someone in our group had hidden it somewhere, or worse. Um, thankfully, I came back and it was just behind the sofa. Music, it was just behind, the, it was behind the cushion. But I love, I love that you suspected your friends there. That was good. Well, no, I didn't in any way. That's, I was like, I just don't understand what could have happened. Like, who was in? And there was one person I didn't know as well, and I thought. It just seems, it just, I just can't see that would happen. But where would it be? And it's like, oh, it's just behind a cushion. Okay, okay. <laughs> but you know when someone gets really angry yeah. and almost, you know, just to a certain extent, rightly so. Um, I'm just now currently at home fearing, you know, has that anger dissipated? Has it all been forgiven? Is it, is it, has it been stored up? Is it going to be unleashed? So, um... This. What I love about this is that you're getting a taster of married life before it comes. <laughs> the, the eternal fear that you live in. And that's why you have, that's why all of a sudden you have children, because it takes the attention off you. 
If they're, if they're you can blame the children as well. No, no, you don't have to blame the children. It's their concern. The maternal concern for children deflects the unmitigated fury beneath them, and, and, and it dissipates it in a way that allows you to get <laughs> off with it so often. So you have think, the, the key is you need to make sure that that incubation period between getting married and having that first child is as quick as possible. <laughs> So basically be making love nine months before wedding day. Absolutely. You literally yeah. want it to pop out day after the wedding. <laughs> okay. Briggsy, you're not going to be drinking at the wedding, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, I hope you don't mind. You can look awful in that dress. <laughs> but I won't get in trouble. So boom, boom. Anyway, how have you been? I have been good, thank you. I have been running. Um, and further to uh, this little challenge that you've set me i watched mm. the um eddie hall youtube video what do you think so uh, just a quick just a quick um uh, recap is that um, david challenged me to run uh, uh, 1.5 miles faster than eddie hall who ran it in 11 27. And, and just if you don't know eddie hall he used to be strongest man in the world so strongest he's man in the world, britain's strongest man yeah, he's about the size um, heaviest, of a pool. Heaviest deadlift. I didn't realise he was that tall. I always had the impression that he was short because of his width. And, 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 <laughs> no. also, and, and also, because you see him in Strongest Man competitions, they're all really, really tall. They're all like six five. Cause they're all, you know, uh, Icelandic and Danish. Yeah. They're all about six foot five, six foot seven. And he's, what, six foot three. So he's still pretty tall, but he's, he looks tiny compared with all the others. <laughs> Until you then see him next to, uh, what's it called, uh, Ross. And, uh, <laughs> and he's like, oh, he's actually really, really tall. Um, so, so the challenge was to, David would say, okay, you've got to run. Do you think you can run a mile and a half faster than Eddie Hall? And Eddie Hall's what, twenty-eight stone or something? <laughs> like that. Something just, insane. <laughs> it is insane. Um, but this all happened because they recorded a video, him and Ross Edgley, um, to do the U.S. Navy SEALs um, uh, entry. It's just the entry requirement, isn't it? It's yeah. Just, like, yeah. Days, just the entry requirement, and it's um, as many push-ups in two minutes as possible, with a minimum of fifty. As many sit-ups as possible. Um, in two minutes, minimum of 50, um, 10 pull-ups, uh, 10 uh, pull-ups, minimum one go, um, one and a half, one and a half mile run in 10 minutes, 30 seconds. And I think it was a 500 yard swim in 10 minutes. Um, which I thought all, I thought all of that sounded quite doable until you then, <laughs> until you, no, no, until you watch the video and you're like, Oh yeah, it's it's fifty push-ups without stopping. Not you can't like take the two minutes to do the fifty push-ups. You've got to do the fifty push-ups under tension the whole time. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. That's really hard. So that's pretty hard. Um, so to watch, but to watch him run that mile and a half, that was that's really impressive. I mean, that is really impressive. Although he did have an advantage uh, in the sense that Ross was pacing him for the first half of that. At an insane pace. <laughs> That's the thing, because Eddie, Eddie's beaten that time by quite a lot. So even if you beat Eddie's now time, Eddie's actual time is about a minute faster. His now time? Is, yeah, so the, the, time, the, the time he's actually raced when it wasn't that back-to-back -back was... I, I think he's run it quick enough to... To, to get into the Navy SEALs. What, you reckon he's done under 10, 10.30 now? Yeah, I believe so, from is an article I read. I haven't seen that one, or is he just... No, 
I think he's he just mentioned it when um, in in passing in this article I'd read. Why what, hit us with your time then? Hit us with your time. No, I haven't I haven't run it. You still I, haven't I, run, I, run it. You haven't no, run no, a mile run and a I've half. It. It's, in, take, oh, it's taken okay. me fourteen. 1401. That's my. I think. I think I might be able to improve on that. Oh, wow. 1401. That is really slow. Isn't it? And you're not injured at the moment. No, but I am coming back. I, the thing is, what I don't, what I, what I'm not doing is I'm going out and running it straight away rather than warming up first. And I think that might have an effect on it because I don't. I yeah, I mean, I mean, at least awful. two or three seconds, I'd say. <laughs> But yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna carry on doing it. I, I it's it's really hard. Like the mile is hard, but it's the that half mile after it that that just makes it really hard. Yeah, I like I've, I've... the thing is, I, that thing, I, it's I know it's a slow pace, but it feels like I'm going the. I feel like Usain Bolt in terms of the amount of effort that I'm putting into it. It is horrific, and I just <laughs> and, and what I'm like, what I'm like. 14 stone, 14 stone lighter than him. <laughs> yeah, just I mean, insane. I mean, even if you, because we were talking about me holding my children while running, even, I mean, you wouldn't be able to put, I just have to hold another human. I'd have to hold another person to run it with, at that pace. I just can't. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, it really goes to show that, um, I know that weight is a, a big a big uh losing weight helps you run faster obviously but it, having weight is no excuse for not running faster uh because that is just that is incredible and it goes to show you how powerful his lungs and heart are yeah um, just, yeah, yeah. Just, but just seeing it it's just just incredible. i'm glad i'm glad i watched it. i'm glad you put me onto it as well because it just shows you what's what's possible um and it's like, yeah, just to see him swim that fast as well was pretty, pretty impressive. But none of that is impressive compared with London Marathon. Was was it impressive? I well, I mean, it wasn't impressive necessarily, but it was exciting for the first time. I think it's true, actually. Yeah. I think what? It was, I, I, do you know what? It was the first time you think actually, whoa, there's like proper finish line action going on here. Yeah, and that was like, and the fact that it was three people, I I wasn't expecting to necessarily be there, you know, Bekele pulling out shortly before, and then uh, yeah, great sprint to the end. Yeah, no, it was really that was that was that was great, and um, and even Sarah Hall coming for yeah, the well, second was, place. That was that was great as well. How do you think it worked as a um, as a as a format? Well. I, it's not bad. It's you didn't watch it live though, did you? So no, I, I saw a little bit of the women's, and then I had to just as I was cleaning up and had to go. Um, so I, I, I guess the difficulty would be. I mean, how was the commentary either side of? Like, did, did they beef it up a lot with um, enough conversations and enough insight, or were they really struggling to talk for that long? Um, I would suggest that they, they, they were struggling. The thing is, they did that, <laughs> they, they've tried to basically use exactly the same format and they haven't really tailored it to the fact that essentially we've got a bunch of people running laps. Um, mm. and, and so they're doing all the normal thing. They're trying to get, 
they've got all these they had all these virtual um uh races and stuff on this board which it just didn't it didn't work at all it kind of worked a bit better once the once the sort of elite stuff had finished and, and they got over to it but it, it didn't quite work it was there's a lot it, there's just a lot of fucking fluff isn't there that's the thing that's mm. really big. there's a lot of fluff a lot of bollocking about talking about nothing and fundamentally watching a watching a marathon is boring as fuck normally but it's even more boring when you're just watching them do laps yeah and especially because you're not reliving it because it doesn't go past Kadisak and you're not going oh this bit how are they going to show yeah exactly exactly mm. you go, oh that corner oh we went past that 18 times uh, in the last two hours that's really interesting th- 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 there were some interesting things i think like firstly uh, it shows you how fast the fast runners are when they start lapping other elites mm. i mean that mm. is really that's really interesting like because yeah obviously that doesn't that that doesn't happen normally so you, you do get a real sense of that uh, and so I think it made that a little bit more exciting when it came into those final few laps and it was close. Uh, the, yeah, I just, I, 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 I think it was okay for that, for, for running it once. I, I, I don't think, I'm amazed how much the, the coverage missed vital parts of it, considering all they were doing was going mm. in the circuit. Or would they, would they cut to it and someone's dropped off? Oh yeah, they just kept happening. Somebody would cut in my way, or the or the or the feed would go, or and it seemed to just be that at, at specific moments. It was and it was quite frustrating in that respect. It was also incredibly frustrating because my children were annoying the hell out of me when I was trying to watch it, um, <laughs> and kept turning the TV off by mistake and stuff. So I don't, I can't blame the BBC for that. Because was... I, I was surprised that Kipchoge finished because he, I, I mean, I've got I've got even I've got more respect for him now actually because of that because. The easy thing he must have known. You could tell it. You could tell early on he knew he wasn't feeling right, and he he was never pushing it. And the pace was so slow that he clearly was was aware that he'd, he'd know it was slow and was fine with that. But you'd think he's got such a good reputation, and he also there is an element of wanting to intimidate your opponents and calling the shots and he's lost that edge now because he's lost to them once and they've run away from him and you know he's having a bad day he was he was he was you could see he was shivering afterwards and he was talking about his calf and his ear wasn't it yeah yeah and and so fair play that he didn't pull out because you know what was he finishing for other than the fact he wanted to finish and he had nothing else to gain, and I, I just think that's great. Yeah, you saw a load, a load of people pulling out. Um, mm. it, it's quite interesting as well because when a lot of those um, people pulling out, they were either emotional in tears, but they were kind of stuck walking along the course, crying or hobbling or something. You kind of watch them, which is awful, but because they can't disappear into a crowd or behind like a St John's ambulance or mm. something like that. But you're, they're kind of like they were kind of exposed in this in this race funnel, as it were. Um, there's there's just some weird stuff related to. It. I just I mean I think the rela- the racing element I think was was quite interesting and exciting for the first time. I don't think the um, the virtual race th- i think the virtual race thing worked well on the outside because i think it was quite nice seeing people out mm. running the london marathon um in different places and i think that worked that that was quite a nice thing i don't think their coverage of it worked particularly well but their coverage is was- right so there's a couple of things about their coverage right which 
you, I don't know, if you just watch the highlight, you might have been, one, why does, I mean, no, the BBC are so fucking woke, okay, and so on it in terms of, you know, optics and everything else. Why is the women's elite race, that time in the morning on BBC Two, men's elite, BBC One, and then wheelchair back to BBC Two? Like, why can't they just stick it all on the same channel? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've no idea why they must realise how that looks. <laughs> yeah, but then it's it, it probably also comes down to the number of people watching, and they. But I, no, I, I can understand that, but they don't they don't switch it around normally on a on a Sunday. I mean, like, mm. you've got match of the day. If you're going to watch match of the day, you're going to watch match of the day. If you stick it on BBC Two, people are still going to watch match of the day. Like yeah. one day, which is, you know, it, the 40th race this is supposed to be, a huge celebration of it. And I just, what? I don't know, there was something about their, their coverage that I, I don't, well, there was actually one bit about their coverage that I got fucking infuriated me. They kept going on about Mark Wright. <laughs> they kept, they invited Mark, and all they kept going on about was this 26 minute special, special 26 minute workout he's going to do. For, for everyone, a 26 minute like hit workout. I'm like, at the BBC, I think the BBC have like got a contract with him or something for him to be to try and become like their version of Joe Wicks or something because they kept going on about it all the time. <laughs> they, you know, they were almost cutting from the races to go, oh, this race was great and everything. But remember, the big event's coming up with Mark Wright's 26 minute <laughs> workout. And it got ridiculous. They just kept mentioning this damn workout he was did, doing. Did they do the whole workout then on no, television? He did tw like two minutes of the workout. And then he said, oh, they cut to the BBC website. We're going to carry on on the BBC website. You're like, what, what, what are they going on about? It was so <laughs> weird. Of all the, the, the things that you could have covered, why is Mark Wright, who is a fucking reality TV star, He's not even of like a proper bloody uh, like um, like gym a fitness, or yeah, fitness or something like that. Yeah, and they even got Mo to intro to intro him. <laughs> and it's just I, I'm like, what is going on? I loved it when Mo came on. I thought because you know he he ran a little bit, didn't he? A little bit of running. And I like the fact he did that. Actually, I like the fact he's pacing the Brits because that is just quite a nice thing to do. I don't know whether he'd have been paid a performance fee, you know, that is matching his um, his profile, or whether it was, you know, genuinely let's go and help these guys out. But I, I think that was quite cool. Yeah, I think it was quite cool as well. You um, you signed up for next year? Well, yeah, in theory. <laughs> but it'd be it'd be interesting to see if if these virtual runs actually take off because. Now that they, it, the concept is out there, every year we have this issue of 19 to 1, your chance of actually getting a ballot place now. It's, it's something ridiculous. It's like 17 to 1. And so it could be that they just, they, but anyone who wants to, who, who applies, you can do the virtual run while it's I, happening. I thought that, I thought that as well. Or, you know, mm. or they offer it as, a, as a, almost like a downsell. You didn't get in. But, you know, if we can keep half of your fee, you can do the virtual. Yeah, and we'll send you a medal or we'll, yeah. yeah Which I think yeah. is, it is nice um, if, if for them to do something like that. And actually, I think it would be good for, it, like it, rather than having all these people that are just wanting to do the London Marathon and don't run until they get a place, 
it would be good to actually get people to run their own marathons. And um, Jennifer, who I'm, who uh, is is helping me with social with Instagram for Caffeine Bullet, she went off and ran a, her first marathon by herself. And yeah. I thought that was great. And apparently in, in Battersea Park, one of the local running clubs, I'd assume Clapham Chasers, um, put on cheer zones so that anyone who wanted to run round Battersea Park would have this or going round each lap, which I just thought was such a nice idea. Yeah, that's great. And I just saw loads of pictures of people you know, doing PBs and, and all sorts of stuff. And I think the thing is, I mean, people go, oh, why don't you just do a virtual race from somewhere else? But I, I, I do think that London Marathon has that brand clout, as it were. Mm. We'll still get, even if you're running it virtually, we'll still get people signing up to do their first marathon, even if it is virtual. I think there's very few, well, what other marathons would be able to do that in the UK with the same kind of clout, no matter what you think of London. <laughs> and, and also the, the fact that it, it, that brand um, power means Claire was out running and did the marathon and ran to Guildford on the way to my folks. And she said it was great because you, you'd see people with their bibs on who are running and that's nice if you're yeah. just doing your own marathon and you see them. But also it would create this look between runners who are saying where it would be this, hey, are you doing the marathon too? And I think that's that's brilliant. Rather than having a virtual race that is very much a, a solo endeavor, this makes it more people in the, in the public aware of it more. And actually, it does help a bit. And it is nice to get recognition from the public and from fellow runners when you're doing something like a virtual marathon. And so having it on London Marathon Day and having it more popularized will help with that, which will make it a nicer event. Yeah, I think so. I think I think that would be nice. Because the other thing I was thinking is that, you know, one of the benefits of, uh, of running London Marathon is the amount of stuff in London that if you show up with your bib or your, your medal, you either <laughs> get free stuff or discounted stuff. Yeah. And, that, and I, I mean, I know it's, it's tiny, but it, it, it does feel good to because to, you still feel like, oh, yeah, exactly. I could do this. Yeah, I can go on this. Go on <laughs> I'm a hero. Three, yeah. I'm a yeah. Hero. yeah. And I think that would be good just to extend that around the country and stuff, wouldn't it? Yeah. Just yeah. You know, like in, in local pubs or, or whatever. I just I think it's just a really nice idea and it helps people connect that locally. I mean, it's just weird. I'm doing like you could be in Yorkshire doing the London Marathon and still be in Yorkshire like that's the thing but mm. actually it does it does work it it really does work and then um, what what I, I didn't realize though is the the wheelchair the fact they had these inter, intermittent sprints and I just I just don't understand like, why like why do they do it but marathon runners don't and especially because the the wheelchair is it's such a short race it's what an hour and and 15 compared to the marathon and yet they had these intermittent sprints that was a completely separate prize pot that really? you is that not do they normally have that i don't know i oh. I, I, sh I assume not but i've never really watched the wheelchair because i'm always running and so they're obviously always first and then they never report on the intermittent sprint if it did happen no i don't think i, I think i've always i've always watched the uh, the wheelchair race because all it felt like with the wheelchair race is you're just waiting to that for the last 400 yards, aren't you? Where then it turns into a proper sprint. And, and you just there's a lot of really tactical, strategic stuff about how much people have left their explosive power behind and stuff like that. And, but I never knew that anything else was going on. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's why they did it, because 
otherwise it is just people in a peloton and so by doing and and there was one point where i can't remember the the previous winner of london he he won one of the first sprints and he had this massive lead at that stage and actually he could have potentially tried to break at that point and so maybe it does just break up that peloton a little bit which makes it more interesting but in some ways it, it's just it, it it undermines then the eventual winner because actually the the winner of the sprints i think won overall but if they hadn't and it came around to that last corner and the person who'd won the sprints ends up coming second that just feels a bit wrong because you really want the the winner of the london marathon to be the best person at the london marathon not someone who cashed it in (laughs) yeah who's decided not to yeah who doesn't need the money (laughs) and so has just gone for the i've cashed in i've cashed in and i'm just gonna take it easy for the rest of this (laughs) yeah 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 so um i'll be i'll be interested to see whether that's something that stays or or whether even if it happens in other races um because it yeah it just seems a bit odd um and if they you know why not do it for the proper math and i mean that would be bloody interesting uh yeah that would or or intermittent fights breaking out or yeah yeah just i don't know press ups (laughs) the press up zone (laughs) Get Spartan, get Spartan to sponsor it. Everyone could do burpees for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got a headline for you, which I think is the most kind of wokish, nowish headline. So this is from Runners World US. All the articles, the articles headline is: "The cyclist helped a wheelchair racer fix his flat." That's it. That's the hot that. That's what the article is about. The Runner's World article is about some cyclist who helped out a person who had a puncture. So, uh, is it so rare that cyclists <laughs> are, are, are human that this, is, <laughs> this actually becomes news? <laughs> well, the, I just don't understand why that headline exists and why anyone would click it. Because what else do you need to know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it does, it's, it does defeat the point. It's the, it's the total opposite, though, isn't it? The opposite and, of, um, uh, of of clickbait. That might be they're just doing the opposite. We'll give yeah. you the entire story in the headline, so you don't click on on our stuff, so you don't have to read it. It's that bad. You do not have to read it. We realise it's bad. And it makes me wonder where, because we, we've we've spoken about Runners World headlines in the past. It does tend to be the American one more than the UK Runners World. And how they are going, and this one's slightly different, but they're, they're going for that feel-good puff piece more than they are stories about running. But this just seems to be too puffy. <laughs> what did I read? I read something about cyclists. I can't remember what it was. Oh, I'll have, to, I have to remember. that. I mean, that is, that, that is a terrible headline. I read something about cyclists. I don't can't remember. I think it was a negative, something negative, or it must have been something positive, or something else. I don't know what it was. Um, this, that reminds me, actually. Um, we had a discussion, uh, and this was a discussion in the group afterwards about On Running's new subscription service. 
Mm. And we've had we've actually had people at Letters uh, Bad Boy Running uh, email us saying actually, and they've done the they've done the calculations. They've worked out you know oh if I get a new pair of shoes every two months I'll spend this whatever. And a couple of people in the group went through it and said oh you know we've worked worked it out actually it is a really good deal if I can get a you know, new pair of shoes every couple of months because I'm running this thing. I'm like well yeah but the small print is you're only allowed two pairs a year so it's every six months at which point everyone goes oh that's a terrible deal. <laughs> wow so it, so you could only them back every yeah. six months yeah it's kind of in the small print. i had to really look around I, i'm sure thing is i'm sure i saw this before we had the discussion and and i didn't i didn't say anything um but i it was only afterwards because i had this idea in my head that it was only two pairs of shoes a year or every six months and i can't and it doesn't say anything on the on the pre-registration page or anything you've got to dig right into that to find it and it is in some small print in a blog somewhere that goes, oh, we're, we, you know, we're envisaging two pairs of, two changing your um, shoes uh, twice a year. You know, that, is a, that makes that a terrible deal. Yeah. I mean, how much does that cost? £300 pair. One more thing to talk about um, in relation to marathons. Uh, one of the do-badders has uh, pinpointed something on Twitter. And as a result of the success of the London virtual run, saw that a certain Scottish run was also promoting their virtual run no yes promoting their virtual run in order to you know get people to do that um apparently it's like it's quite a bit of money to do this virtual run um but i just wondered whether they hadn't really thought about that too much and you know if you do um a virtual version of edinburgh how can you make sure that it, it is accurately represented so i wondered whether we could get a few of the do badders to sign up to do the virtual run and give people a very, very um, detailed um, uh, breakdown of what that virtual run would look like while they're doing it. <laughs> so you need a headwind, strong headwind, strong headwind. You get a wind tunnel, uh, um, no water. Uh, although actually what you'd need is you'd need to leave out lots of water that was then stolen <laughs> so you'd have to, you need to you need, half the people running it would be told they're not allowed to run it anymore halfway through the race yeah and then when you, you finish res no results at the end yeah you've got to buy your results and when you finish you're then you've got to queue up for a bus that's at least two or three miles from where you want to go perfect I think it's, I think it's worth doing I think it's worth doing. I think if you, if we, if if someone, if we can get someone to uh, a couple of people to do it on the same day, and we get um, some, uh, you know, some some funds raised for that, I think I think we could show people what a virtual one would look like in Edinburgh. Did you see uh, that Scott Dutton posted in um, the group that <laughs> a picture taken from Ham Hampstead Heath? Uh, that uh, again, it was taken from another group. That someone took a photograph. That someone had daubed in graffiti um, across these uh, these doors. Joggers increased COVID by forty two percent. Where was it? Where was that place? <laughs> yeah. But which door in Hampstead Heath? Because it was like it was like a, I think it was like a, a power substation door or something. Just someone had just not on no not on someone's door. Imagine if it was like that. <laughs> a, a local runner was getting a, a, attacked by uh, local youths who were upset that he might be a super spreader. No, I think it looked like it's on like a council on a council building or something. So do we do we suspect that are you saying that Donald Trump's a jogger? 
Possibly, possibly could be a jogger. Um, um, I don't. I, but what I like about this is the specificity of that of that percentage. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> but um, interestingly, I was talking to Chris Ince this weekend, and he was saying about how when he was running the Thames Thames Path Hundred, he was pacing Julius, and in the night it was you can see people's breath in the air. And because he Julius like, doesn't like to have someone in front of him and they're talked behind them so it doesn't give him vertigo or anything, Chris essentially saw that he was, for the whole of that run, essentially running in the breath of Julius. And so, actually, there, there, there is something in running behind someone that 42%, yeah, I mean, it could be. It could be. It is. It is interesting, isn't it? Like, what was the what was the guidance on it? That if you were running, then there the breath would be holding in the air longer. I, I can't remember what the specific thing was because you're breathing out more. The air, the the, the and you're moving particles. through a longer distance, aren't you? So yeah, and the water particles would hold in the air for longer. And I suppose if you're running as well, your mouth might be open and you're going into the other people. Yeah, um, it does. It does. Yeah, it certainly feels it. It's the, word, yeah. it's the word joggers as well, I think, quite interesting. Not runners, joggers. <laughs> it's like that specific category of runner. Sprinters, no, they're fine. No, 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 fine. Runners, no. joggers, joggers, they're the ones. Well, the good thing is, if we're bad, imagine how bad cyclists are. Because oh the goodness. speed at which they go through the air. I was talking earlier about how uh, I, there was a story about cycling that I, I wanted to share with you. I couldn't remember what it was. I have just remembered it. Um, so, this, so you've told a story about how um, there was a, a report that some cyclists had done something nice to someone else, and that made the news. Okay, so this one is that cyc some cyclists, the cycling team, had done something fun and had got fined massively for it. So um, this is at the um, Giro d'Italia, which I, I don't know if that's a big race or not, but it's yeah, yeah, pretty big. Race. Okay, right. So um, EF Pro Cycling will find a total of four thousand five hundred Swiss francs, three thousand eight hundred pounds on Saturday for their outfits at the Giro d'Italia. Uh, EF Pro Cycling special Giro only kit is a collaborative creation between Rafa, the team's kit supplier, and Palace, a wildly popular skateboard and streetwear brand known for their early 2000s video game inspired aesthetic. So what they basically got is that they, they have this rule that, you know, your, your kit can't look um, too similar to other teams or too similar to any of the, the race uh, jerseys as well. Yeah. So they've come up with what is the craziest looking um, uh, jerseys. They are like psychedelic weirdness and everything. They're great. But what's really irked the um, uh, the authorities here, which has led to it, is that they <laughs> their cycling helmets were all like ducks' heads, <laughs> and they looked utterly ridiculous. That's they brilliant. brilliant. They were brilliant. They were just utterly brilliant. And so they've done that. And so the um, the team manager, um, uh, Jonathan Vorters, uh, I think he's done it, it, was just like, oh, you guys cycling, you guys always looking out of best of interest to sport, aren't you? Thanks for the $4,000 worth of fines for wearing our crazy ducks. Hope, uh, I imagine he's the person that runs it, enjoys his dinner on us. <laughs> and actually, I mean, I, I, I guess cycling does take itself quite seriously, but surely it's a no, good thing to make... No, cycling takes itself too seriously. 
surely it's a good thing to get to make cycling fun and to include i mean the thing is compared with what it could compared what it could be like uh, and you know like everyone is is still pretty much all they did was the shape of the helmet wasn't any different but they just turned it into a duck's head like the back of the helmet was the beak and the front of the helmet was white so it just looked like a duck's head reversed and that's brilliant like it wasn't a different shape or anything else like that but no non-compliant podium clothing (laughs) <laughs> I've just seen it. It looks amazing. Although I don't know whether the one I'm looking at is one which is, someone has actually with huge duck eyes and a yellow bill. Yeah, that is quality. I want one of those. Um, it's, cool. it's good, isn't it? It's quality. Yeah. And and did someone make a complaint, or the the authorities just decided to to find anyway? I don't know. It didn't say. It didn't say that anything. But there, they just received it, and uh, that's what they've had to uh, they've had to had to pay up because they had to be a bit different. Which actually, this goes back a little bit to the um, thinking about this in terms of the marathon, um, and terms about like personality and stuff like that. And you were talking about Kipchoge, and the fact that you know when it, actually when he was being interviewed after everything, he was incredibly gracious, incredibly mm. polite, as he always is. And in fact, all of the all of the the winners of that, you know, incredibly humble, incredibly. Mm. Don't you think like marathon running? suffers from not having a, a champion who's an absolute twat yeah true Which like it a... doesn't like we need someone who is a massive bellend it doesn't even have to be the champion but someone who is up there up thereabouts who's a real like dickhead and i just i, I just think it would add such an edge to stuff yeah someone someone calling them out like a lance equivalent and i mean why aren't i faster i could be that twat. i think it could have been you it could have been, it could you. Have been. <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely. no but mind you like when you get when you get onto those podiums you you turn into you turn much more gracious like i saw your interviews when you were the somaliland marathon and the banyan marathon and stuff like that <laughs> you weren't you weren't offending any cultures or or you know that was just because of my my ignorance more than anything like else <laughs> I, I, yeah. I didn't know how to offend them. I was saying all the wrong things. But um, yeah, I, I, I think as well that the trouble is with it goes down to the reporting as well, where actually if all the presenters knew far more details about all of the top runners and the they weren't just saying this person's run this race and it was more to do with their personality, yeah. that would make things more interesting. I just think it because I, I'm just thinking about this in terms of like someone like Wiggins, like, you know, he... he in the incredibly boring world of running, he he was a personality. He was a he was a little bit of a dick, but he wasn't like a massive dick. Um, but like tennis, tennis has loads of them. Like tennis is great for that. I'm like, why can't we have like a you know like get like a John McEnroe style, style marathon runner? Why? Because the thing is, a lot of elite marathon runners are dickheads, but they're just not brash dickheads. They're just dickheads in their personal you know just personally to each other. Um, why? Why? Like, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like you think in balance of probability, we'd have someone who was a right twat. But also um, because I think as a marathon runner, you were in front of the camera for actually having conversations 20 seconds. Yeah. And think of when Kipchoge was on or the winner was on. It was one question. And the difference is when you're watching tennis, the tennis coverage or, or the other sports is people specifically watching who are fans of tennis who have been watching the whole tournament, who actually follow this person throughout the year. Whereas when the marathon's covered, it's people who aren't necessarily huge marathon fans. It's just the general public who don't actually care that much about 
hearing from Kipchoge or whoever it may but, be. But that's what gets people into that, isn't it? By having like like mm. personalities who are massive knobheads. Which is the same with ultra running, actually. Like at least there's a, there's a few more kind of personalities in in like ultra running, but still, it's not like it's not like people who are you know like 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 a villain, like you could have as a villain. Um, or always or really cocky. I don't know. I just think it. <laughs> I, it seems a weird thing to wish for, but it's just sometimes you just like think that there would be like someone who's a bit like that, so you could kind of hate them, or, yeah. or see them, what I'm seeing beat, or you know, have a little bit of a dramatic arc to it, or something. Yeah, and and that would be good. Well, that's good in all sport, isn't it? Everyone likes a baddie, and yeah. especially because typically in most sports most people aren't that bad in how they're painted. And so at some point they come good because they feel that pressure because they've been misrepresented. And so even the people that most of us hated in sports at some point when they matured actually did something quite nice. I mean, look at John McEnroe now. Everyone yeah, loves exactly, him. Exactly. We just like kind of, yeah, he's, he's gone on a journey. He was, it was fascinating to watch. Um, and, but even like someone like Andre Agassi, who actually wasn't a twat, but he he was so different. He was mm. so completely different. When you look at now, you're like, wow, that I used to think that outfit was really cool. Uh, but he was just so completely different from anything. And he and he and he would he talked he talked to people a little bit differently. And he was much more relaxed and stuff like that. And so it was a real contrast. I just think you know, there's uh, it's just I, I mean maybe that's the nice thing about running. There's not that many like massive knobheads. But it would be good to have a few in there, like. You know, giving it at that at the camera every now and then, or or moonwalking over the finish line, or you know, doing stuff like that. That would be good. And maybe that's because no runners are adulated in the same way as other sports. So it's it's very hard to get that kind of ego. And I mean, to is, you you watch the end of an Ironman, and they are all massive knobheads. Like or like just any anyone doing an Ironman. Like the way that some of those people cross the line and stuff like that, even though that they're not champions and things like that, you're like, wow. You are- oh, I think no, I, I I think it's all right for people to cross the line however they want. They've done an Ironman, fair play. No. Same as the MDS. No. No. Anyway, we um, no. how are we going to seg this one? <laughs> how are we going to seg? <laughs> I've no idea, Nick. So just let's take it away of our lovely guest. <laughs> So do badders. Um, I wanted to get our next guest on because I read a, an article and it's it's not often I read an article more than about a two minute read. Did it have any pictures, Wow. But I got drawn in by the by the, the subject and then actually it was so honestly written and also a topic that I thought we've never really even approached, um, let alone in depth. So. I wanted to get on the, the podcast to give us his view on on his his story more than anything else um, to talk about um, body dysmorphia. Our next guest, so please welcome on the podcast the wonderful Devin Kelly. Hey, <laughs> how you doing? Thank you. I am doing all right. I am so happy to be here and so grateful that um, to be read so well. And so I'm I'm very happy to be here. How was because it was it's a year ago now, wasn't it? That the it was last year the the um, 
article came out what kind of reaction have you seen from from people you know from the running community from strangers yeah um yeah it came out in late november early december of last year and um i was actually um i'm a writer and a poet and a, a teacher and and um you know, I've published essays before, and and so when I when this one was published, I I was expecting sort of the same reaction, which is not much of one. <laughs> and um, but um, I, I, it you know it made the rounds on Twitter, and and um, and I I was actually teaching at my high school that day, and I don't look at my phone often when I teach, and by the afternoon, I had you know I had a it was such a beautiful sort of gratifying day for me because I checked my email and um, I had all these emails from people who had read the article um, from around the country um, and and people um, people who were runners too and, and sort of who, who the article resonated with and, and, and they, they shared sort of how they felt about it. And, um, you know, I, I actually was not expecting any kind of reaction at all. And so for that, I was grateful. And I, I actually had a, a essay published in long reads, the same publication a, a few weeks ago. And, and because of that essay, like uh, the one you mentioned the, on dysmorphia sort of made the rounds again, and it, it, mm. it, it got linked on uh, let's run. And then it was just like, it's been such a gratifying experience um, because I was so scared when I wrote that, um, mm. that I wasn't, that I wasn't sort of qualified to write it, if that makes sense, that I, that I didn't deserve to. Um, there's a lot of sort of shame involved in even trying to, to write it and feeling like it, it deserved to be out there. You know. were, were you nervous about, because I imagine especially a high school teacher, <laughs> were, were you nervous about the reaction and, and how people, how it changed people's perception of you potentially? Yeah, and I was I was actually more nervous, and like this is such a, in hindsight, it's such a, I don't know if it's a dumb thing to be nervous about, but I was more nervous about the fact that like, you know that that article begins with me like sort of justifying, it begins with like a list of my PRs um, as a way to sort of, and the reason it does that um, is, is because like I wanted to be upfront about the fact that like I took running really, really seriously and it also took such a drastic toll on my body. But my nervousness was also like partly that, um, I wasn't, this is like, I wasn't fast enough or like good enough to, um, to say that I struggled with my weight or to say that like I had some sort of dysmorphic tendencies. Like it, I was just worried that people, um, we're going to say, like, you're, you're not blank. You're not X enough to write about weight, you know. She almost felt you, your, your times and performance didn't justify the condition. Yeah. And, like, in hindsight, that that feeling is a feeling that, like, has been brought on, like, by... It's related to the same thing I talk about in the article. Like, this feeling of being in the world and, like, feeling that no matter what you do, you're not enough. Um, yeah yeah and it's that it's the, that feeling of kind of judgment isn't it that that is always linked to anxiety which is brought on by kind of that behavior like kind of the vicious circle of it yeah it, it was it's you're right it's entirely judgment and it's entirely this notion that like no matter how honest i am about something or how vulnerable about something i'll still get judged for it yeah. 
The other thing I find when I write a little bit, but not not like you, but I always think that people are going to think me revealing a weakness is me making an excuse. And it's like, it's, it's really not an excuse. It's just me trying to be as honest as possible. But sometimes I'll go back and read like the stuff I've written and think, oh my God, I sound like such a dick. Like if I was reading this, I sound like such a dick. And, you know, and I have to admit when I first read that article, I was like, this is just a guy talking about how fast he can run. And then I really, and then I got into it. And I was like, oh, Which you would have hated him for, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, like, who's this guy, man? But, um, yeah. but yeah, as I got into it, I was like, I can totally see why you did it like that. Mm. What was it at this sort of time in your life that made you think I'm going to write about this as opposed to ha- of having kind of written about it before? Um, it's a great question. I think it's it's been the distance from it. And um, I'm actually so happy I'm talking to y'all. I was like reading about who you've talked to and, and, and listening to some of your podcasts. And like, um, you know, I ran... I ran very, I was like a very, very serious competitive runner through high school and college. Um, and since college, um, though I have done like, I still road race and whatnot. Um, my relationship to running has been one that's more foundationally about having fun and, and about having and joy. And a lot of that's because I got, um, my friend, Matt, and Nick, um, uh, there's, there's a few of us friends who have gotten really into ultra running um, and that shift of perspective, um, ultra running has actually brought me like a deep sort of shift in perspective of how I view both my body, like my need to like be a certain size or shape or appearance. Um, like you go to any ultra and <laughs> it's a massive picnic with some running. Yeah, thrown in. It, is. Know that. <laughs> it is. And it's, it's, it's quite beautiful. And so, um, Doing that for a few years has really sort of shifted my attitude of running into one where I'm just grateful to be out there. Um, and, and, and like a lot of that was through endurance running, whether it was starting to run marathons after college or, or moving on to ultras. And so like having done that for a few years, I sort of realized in hindsight that like, oh, like that thing I was going through in college and still now where like, like I mentioned in the article, like where I have to like do a bunch of sit-ups before I eat to tell myself it's okay to eat or like sneak out the door um, for like, I, I like sprint two miles because I haven't run that day. And it's like, that gives me the permission to ha- have a meal. Um, and like these kinds of things, it's like, oh, that's like that. I should write about that because like, because like that was something serious that, is that happened to me and still happens to me, but it was only getting that sort of shift in perspective that like allowed myself to, that I allowed myself to really sort of sit down with it. Cause, cause before you got into, before you became seriously focused on running, we, did you always need that feeling of control in your life? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I was made fun of for my weight, for a long time before I started running, um, my nickname in fourth grade was Marshmallow, <laughs> which I laugh at now. But it's like kids can be dicks. <laughs> mm. um, kids can be such dicks. Although people uh, love marshmallows, so yeah, you know, yeah. Could it be worse? maybe they're gonna call you something awful. Like cause I'm just yeah. trying to think something terrible. They're gonna call you, but still, yeah, like kids yeah. can be absolute dicks. So can grown ups actually. But yeah, yes, yeah. grown ups can be. I yeah, they, everyone can be. Um, and uh, but um, running is how I sort of enacted, like, er, it was around that time I, my family, my mom struggled with addiction and, and my parents split up and I was 11. And, and that's 
that's when like everything was sort of at its peak. Like I was um, being made fun of for my weight in middle school and, and my parents had just split up and like I started running um, like I started running the same two mile loop in my neighborhood and I would do it every day after school and I would carry a little Walkman with me. Um, and and that that's how running started for me. It made me feel like I had, as you said, some sort of aspect of control over my life. Um, and, um, and in general, like I, that's one reason why I still run, you know, is like, it, it makes me feel when I don't run, I feel a little bit rudderless. I feel a little bit, um, antsy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause actually that at that time, that is quite a positive thing to mm-hmm. be overweight to be going through a tough time and it could be you know th- that sounds like what i'd want for thousands upon thousands of people who are struggling with the weight to almost discover for themselves it's also incredibly it's it, it shows like incredible fortitude at that age because getting mm-hmm. a kid out to do that every day if you tell them they have to do it they won't do it so it's pretty that, that impresses me that you kind of did it off your own back like was it was it was part of it the thing where you were like, I'm going to lose weight and show people that school bullying me that I'm great? Or was it yeah. like the control? Was it more the control aspect of it? It started as the former and 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 became the latter. And I, my family also has a history with running. My my brother is um, my brother's very still. Com- my brother's two years older than me and is uh, still very very competitive and runs for like a sort of semi professional track club um, in Washington D.C. where we grew up and. My dad, when he was young, was a like a competitive runner. His brother ran like a four-minute mile in college. Like there, there's a bunch of runners in my family, and it was sort of part of the mythology of my family. And and so at the time, my brother, my brother was a little older than me, and he was like, he was like running the mile in gym class and and beating everybody. And and so there's part of it that was like, oh, like it made sense to try running as a way to cope with it because I had seen people running was part of like the language of my family and I had never really tried it before. And so, um, and then like it carried with it all sort of the effects that you just mentioned. Like I did lose weight and I did feel stronger and I felt better about myself and I got fast and I became a fast kid. And like there are, I found new ways to define myself. And like, I think what's so fascinating about like, about all of this and like this discussion is that like all of those things, as you mentioned, David, are like intrinsically good things. Like I felt mm-hmm. good about myself. I, I got stronger. I got faster. I, I found something to be proud of. But like also all of those things were born out of feelings of worthlessness and mm-hmm. feelings of shame and feelings of suffering. And like, and I think that like in all the success stories we often talk about, whether in movies or in books, um, superheroes like they almost always begin with someone being a complete asshole to someone Mm -hmm. and like or someone suffering for for a reason that they shouldn't and like that's what's sort of so fascinating about all these things is that like often our coping mechanisms if they're good um you know if they're healthy they're still coping mechanisms you know like there's Mm -hmm. still something underneath the surface that's that's really painful um and that, I, I, that term you just used about it defining you really scares me and I hear it mm. bandied about all the time and I often think that 
you should never have like one thing that defines you because if you lose it then then your the definition of yourself is gone and so yeah. do you think that it became it got to the point where you were like I'm getting good at this I'm going to get competitive that you were like you know I'm going to put every single energy into this so I kind of ignore the other stuff going on around me yeah I think it did and and honestly to some extent it still does you know like what I mentioned earlier about like it's like the days I've actually been I've been hurt for the past I've been uh I've got some IT band issues which probably everyone can relate to <laughs> and uh yeah. and I I've been suffering from them throughout all of lockdown and like it's actually like it made me realize how much like how in some ways like how unhealthy my need to run every single day is um, because like, I remember the first, the first day I couldn't go out. I like tried running and it, it hurt too much. And I was like, ah, like I have to sit this one out. And I was so angry. <laughs> I was like, and, and, um, and I, I immediately had to channel that, that anger into some. So I like started doing like yoga obsessively. Um, like at, like over an hour of yoga a day to the point where it's like, am I doing yoga even? <laughs> to mm-hmm. like, and I, I don't have the answer for that. I just, I know personally that the way I experience life is like, I need, I often need to be doing something um, to cope with so many sort of competing thoughts that are inside my head. And I talk about that in the article, like when I went to school, grad school to become a poet, like, I became like addicted to smoking um, and I was smoking a shit ton and um, and I'm still like that's something like I I have sort of quit but like I still have a pack somewhere over here and like I had a cigarette like a couple weeks ago or a week ago so like it's um, it's a testament to, to sort of how difficult it is to be alive. <laughs> it is but also i think it's a it's 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 human it's being a human i honestly yes. think it's being a human we, you know i've met so many people that have taken up ultra running or endurance sport to replace another addiction be that drugs or alcohol mm, yeah. or whatever it is and kind of throw themselves into it like 120 percent and get to a really sort of high level get injured and then fall back into this addiction cycle because they're like i can't do the thing that i replaced it with and i honestly mm. think it's it's a human thing but it's something that you have to learn to kind of control like Hellard's not run for however long it is during lockdown now <laughs> I had two days off the other day because I'd done a really really long mileage month and I thought I should and I turned into a monster like bursting into tears <laughs> just being a hideous human being and yeah. then the day after was like well I'm no good at running anyway why should I get it got to that point two days so yeah you know that last thing I had was 15 minutes ago so I'm totally on board with this because <laughs> <laughs> do you think um if do you think you could have found satisfaction from running and do you think running could have relieved your feeling of inadequacy had all of your goals been hit or or do you think was it were you always chasing an impossible end point um probably the latter I would argue um and like I yeah and I and so much of you're right. I mean, so much of my desire, especially in college, when when I would argue everything was at its sort of worst, um, and I was you know sneaking off. I was doing three runs a day. I'd go off at like 10 p.m. to do a run, even though we had already run twice. And I you know, 
Um, I would do all kinds of things, and I was comparing my, my like I. It was because I felt inadequate, not just because I felt heavier than the the other guys on my team. But I also like wasn't. I was good enough to run in college. I was not that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was not. I you wasn't winning. The best. Yeah, I was not winning. I've 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 only won I've won one one race in my life, and that was cool. <laughs> but um, in college, I never won a race, and I I never really got that close. And so, you're right. Like there were, and I was like, I want to, I want to be better, and 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 it seems that the reason I'm worse is because I'm you know too big or too heavy, and and um, all these guys have like veins coming out of their fingers, like you know, <laughs> like and vein, like yeah, and and so there was a lot of inadequacy about that was goal related, but I don't would, know. Yeah. Would people, would other people think that you were heavier than those individuals? Yeah, I mean, like I I heard it enough. It was not like a pervasive thing, and that's sort of what was so difficult about it. Um, it wasn't like people every day were coming up to me and saying you need to lose weight. It was it was like the offhand comment once every month. That mm. was like that was like um, yeah, maybe you could stand to lose a few pounds, or like um, you know, um, like you're big for a runner, um, and. And then it was the way I internalized what it looked like to just like I was scared to take off my shirt during workouts and like, um, and because when other guys took off their shirts, there was like rippling twelve packs and like mm. you know you could see like their lung, <laughs> mm. and and um, you know we you talk about it's so much of it's internalized like. Um, and it's the difference we were talking, I guess, before this started about the difference in dysmorphia between men and women. And I think like, that's a key difference, um, is that like for men, it's not as vocal. And so like, because it's not as vocal, you don't know if it's actually real. You don't know if what, if like what you're experiencing is like me is like, is, is like you saying I should lose weight or is you looking at a bunch of men and boys who are tiny and being like, mm. and then there's something in your mind that's saying, well, because I'm not as good as them, the difference is that like they have a 12 pack and I don't, so now I need that. And like you can't, because no one's talking about it, you can't say that, and mm-hmm. so you don't know how to process it. And it's like you're, it's this cycle of just like consistent negative reinforcement that like you keep quiet about, um, and it it wears you down. Was it real? Um, like, was it, looking back on it, was it real? Do you feel like you could have lost a couple of, I don't know, kilograms, pounds, however you do it? Do you feel like that that actually was an issue? Or do you feel like it was, you know, dysmorphia in the in the, in the biggest, broadest um, sort of state of that term? I mean, it's a, a tough question. I, I could have, I guess, I, you know, I, but I, like, I, I also know that, like, I was... I was as thin as I probably could make myself be, you know, Mm. um, without going to extreme measures. Um, and like, um, I like, and I, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, I feel the after effects of it now because like, I no longer have to deal with like being on sort of a team where your body is on display every day, but I still like, I still like pinch my thighs. I still um, look at my turn my body in the mirror, and I um, 
I still have this need to like for some reason like explain my weight to people who don't even care about it you know mm-hmm. um and um and it comes from that it comes from 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 that sort of period of like intense scrutiny and and um but your question like what's interesting about your question is that like i probably will never know because because there is never a culture of men talking about it. Mm. And did, you so, ne- did you never have someone say to you, you, women get this, I mean, women are renowned for their whole, oh my God, I'm too fat thing. But did anyone ever say to you, dude, what are you talking about? There's the, you, there's absolutely no problem with you. Yeah. Well, what are you different. doing? Why are you doing this? Um, no, I didn't. And like, that's partly because like I tried, I tried really hard not to talk about it. And like when I did, I would, um, I think I mentioned it in the article, you know, I would, I would say it first so that no one else could, could say it. So I would say something like I'm the, um, like I would I would say like, I'm the fat one on the team or like, um, if, um, if I took off my shirt for a workout, I would grab like like now I've got a little bit of a of a beer gut, but like back then I had like nothing on my lower belly, and I would grab like this little thin layer of lower belly fat and be like, I could stand to lose this, um, and and like by by saying it first, I think like it sort of ended the conversation, um, or didn't invite anyone to talk about it, and so, um, yeah, like it, it. it in thinking about those years, which are now like eight, nine, ten years ago, um, it's it's amazing how how I personally, because I was scared, sort of refused to invite any sort of honest conversation about it, particularly in regards to men. Um, so, and and was it was it the coaches who were saying this, or was it your peers as well would mention things? And and do you think they had when they were saying it? Do you think they were? Did they think they were actually being helpful? And do you think they understood the the ramifications? Yeah, I mean, I I talk about it in the article. I I actually my like my teammates are some of my best friends, and and so like it actually, and I I think like that's. I had I had a high school coach sort of mention it to me, and I I had um, like every once in a while, like it would there would be some offhand comment from someone, whether on my team or or someone I knew, but like very rarely did anyone tell me about it. And so again, like it was so much of it was in my head, and I I think that that's you know um, like that's something that I think. I wonder, I, I, I would bet that a lot of men can relate to and women, I think in general, anyone who sort of has dysmorphic tendencies is like, you internalize it because like, like even like if I flip through my Instagram, uh, which has, you know, like the suggested sort of like people to follow and you mm-hmm. see like, you see like uh, pictures of Insta runners or you see you know, like there are not a lot of depictions of running that involve people who are not bone thin. Mm. Um, but there's and, not any. There's not any that depict normal people. It's either yeah. you've got your obese vlogger bloggers who are like, "Look at me, I'm obese and I'm doing this stuff," 
or you've got your super fit people, there's nobody normal in the middle. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, there, and 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 that's and that's sort of like the is like I'm even now heavier than I was in college. Like I, I know when I'm not feeling like shit about myself that I am just like I am a like a relatively lean person with an athletic build. And even now, it's like I don't. I am like scared. I don't often see. There's very few depictions of even people like me. Um, and, and so, like, what that does, like, on a really granular scale that I've noticed particularly in the past few years is, like, is, like, my my sort of um, conception of, like, what a runner should look like is, as you say, like, someone who's, like, ultra, ultra fit, ultra lean. Mm. And so, like, I see pictures of, you know, professional runners running a marathon and like I see, I see like how sort of like fit they look mid stride, and then like I'll get the pictures back from me running the marathon, and it's like, and I would do this. I did this for years. I I try not to do. I actually try not to look at any pictures of me running, because um, I'll immediately like put them ag- side by side against someone who's like more fit than me, and be like, wow, I'm fat, you know. And it's like, no, you're not. You're just not insanely thin um do you think if you hadn't been overweight as a child you'd potentially still have that view on on yourself against others or mm, i'm not sure like but you're right i it was it was a childhood spent sort of internalizing that shame that like it I started thinking about my body in a negative way at a really young age and I haven't stopped. Um, I've grown more cognizant of it and like I can sort of self-talk my way out of it, but there's no way in which I've stopped. And, and, and it started, yeah, when I was eight, nine, ten years old. At what point did you realize that it was a problem? At what point did you kind of mm. click and go, this is not right. I need to do something about it. Well, what were the first things that you started doing? Um, Honestly, like, I would say, like, I knew, I knew I was like a little obsessive in college, but I think because I had never, I didn't have the language, like, a reason, it was probably as I started writing seriously and, and like, the thing about, the thing about creative writing and is that like, you learn that like, having a name for something allows you to better understand it. And so, um developing my language of how I've like like particularly in grad school when I was working on my poetry and 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 really sort of developing a language to understand myself um was when it sort of opened the door for me to be more like critical of my behavior and critical of and empathetic and, and, and generous. And then as you, as I talked about earlier, like, um, finding myself in new sort of experiences of running. Um, there's like, there is a intense difference between say a, um, being in the first corral of the Boston marathon, which I've been in a few times and being on the start line of a 50 mile race. Um, in one mm. in the in the first scenario it is a bunch including me of like type a obsessive people mm. who are lean 
and serious and intense. And in the second in the second scenario, it is a bunch of similarly obsessive people, but um, who are a little bit more willing to sort of like admit how crazy they are and, and they're some... all having a chat and eating a bit of cake yeah what do you yeah do? and going do you want a little bit of this crisps or do you yeah. want a little bit of this biscuit and they've got that... probably other goals and priorities as well yeah. yeah and that was like i remember my first um my friends i mean my friends who i ran in college with um particularly my friends matt nick julian um andrew like um they're still my best friends now, and um, and and Ben, Ben would hate me if I forgot him. I lived with Ben. Um, <laughs> sorry, Ben. But um, but I ran my first ultra marathon. Matt, Matt's Matt, my friend Matt. I could talk about all day. He's he's done Badwater. He's done Vol State. Um, he's 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 a maniac. Um, and um, he convinced Nick and I to do our first 50 miler. We did the, the bear mountain North face 50 miler in New York. And I, at that time, like had only done sort of, I'd done the New York city marathon. I did Boston a few times. I, I was considering myself like a serious sort of competitive marathoner, not like a very, you know, not Olympic trials, but like I, I, I liked going after it. And so I showed up not knowing what to expect. And like, but you're right, like eating a bit of cake and like it was mm. it was like I remember it was like four in the morning and it was pitch black and everyone we had headlamps on and it was raining and like there were people huddled around a trash fire on a barrel and like I couldn't see the porta potty I was shitting in. Like it was <laughs> <laughs> and then like the start happened and, and it was still dark and like people were falling over and This sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I wanna do this right. <laughs> And you're like scaling a mountain and like you can't the the footing was terrible and and I remember like but then I remember daylight happening and I was and like at that point that's like a beautiful thing about ultras is like it the sun comes out after like two hours of running mm. <laughs> and it's like this magical thing and um uh Matt and Nick and I we took some we took some weed gummies at mile thirty <laughs> And so it's like the antithesis of like, I know you, you should hang out with us. We have a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but it was like the antithesis of like every sort of, it wasn't about how fast we were going. It wasn't about, um, you know, burning calories. It wasn't about mm. how lean we were. Um, it was pouring rain the whole time. And it that, that race in particular was such a transformative experience for me because it was just like this is what it's like to be out there and um to wrestle with a lot of different things um and you forget about and like you're so far removed from every sort of typical aspect of the world um whether it's like what people look like or what people care about or what you're gonna have for dinner <laughs> like i think like, in ultra running you're so it's all—it's kind of selfish, but it's not because you've got your buddies who you're running with all your paces. But you're so focused on you and how you're feeling and how you need to get to this next point, this next checkpoint, or yeah. need to get to the sunrise that you don't look at other what other people are doing because you mm. have faith in what you're doing. What you're doing is correct. It's not like when you watch a city marathon and you're just watching them smash it past, or you've got the really 
the slower guys at the back who are like really cheering on. It's it's kind of a like self transcendent experience of being really honest with yourself because yeah. you have to be honest with yourself to get mm. yourself to that next checkpoint, which is far yeah. enough way that you're not going to be like you can't just whack a gel down your mouth. You're going to have to eat a sandwich or have a biscuit or whatever it is. Yeah, and you lose you lose as yeah, it's so well said, and and you lose the little things like the first few years after college when I was you know I I ran two hours and 41 minutes at the Boston Marathon in 2015. And, and for a while, I was trying to get under two two hours and 40 minutes. And it's such a, like, even a marathon, which is an endurance race, like, if you're viewing it as a competitive sort of event with a competitive sort of, like, desire to run two hours and 39 minutes, that still means that, like, every second matters. And it means that, mm. like... It means that if you have to stop to take a shit mid race, then like it's over. Like, um, and, and there's, and like the difference between two hours and 41 minutes and two hours and 39 minutes is like a couple seconds a mile. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also, there's also only one, um, way of judging your success. Yes, exactly. And, and, and I think that like, you know, there's part of me that still actually like loves that, and and like I do love, I love competitive, I love going after it in a marathon because like it's a different kind of mentality of sort of like being so hyper focused and like mm. in like some sort of flow state, but but all of that goes away in an ultra marathon. Like you know, my my friends and I do this 24 hour race every year called Farm Days, and it's like we're there mostly to hang out and like and like run a lot of miles but also drink a lot of beer and like and like they they have hamburgers at some point and like it's it's like the things that it it really centers it's a different aspect of things you care about and i'm so grateful for having those experiences and particularly having them so close to running which for so long in my life was a source of anxiety and judgment um, and and compulsion um, Cause, and obsessiveness. Because was it that first ultra that, that completely transformed your view of what running could be, or, or was there another trigger point that really helped you change from having that internal pressure to actually thinking this isn't, it's not working? It was that. It was very much that, and it was also like the years, the years after college. I also like um while I was smoking and running marathons I was like I was like in better I was like in better shape than I had been in college and I was, and I was smoking a lot of cigarettes and drinking a lot of beer <laughs> and like and, seems legit to me <laughs> yeah and and a lot of it was because like I realized in hindsight that a lot of it was because like I had let I was starting to let go of the need to like to break running down into really incremental parts and to obsess over them and to obsess over like pace and obsess over like I didn't like I did I did eight miles today instead of ten. Oh no, mm. you know, and like um that took it sort of took years to like unlearn and like it is kind of shitty, yes, that like it took it took like 
it took like becoming a poet and getting really into smoking and like it took it took sort of like <laughs> it took it, it took like yeah it took like <laughs> identifying myself in a completely different way and and I remember those years the way I would sort of I was like I'm a runner but I'm also a smoker and like and that's not a good thing to sort of have to like wrestle with your identity that way but what it at least forced me to do was reckon with the fact that like there was something as you said earlier i think like there's something wrong with identifying myself as as simply one of those things to begin with like why and then it's like maybe there's something wrong with just identifying yourself as anything to begin with um in a way that sort of doesn't like acknowledge how complex it is to be alive and how complex it is to be a human i think um, you can i think you can have a you can have a kind of a moral priority of you know like like i love being an ultra runner but i don't want that to define me and i smoke cigarettes i drink beer and i eat normally and i and i'm a normal human being and i'm not ever mm. gonna I only win stuff when there's only one woman that's ever en- that's ever entered that's <laughs> me and i'm like yes one before we even started i'll come first and last at the same time amazing yeah but I think my moral priority is to help and inspire people to do the best that they can do by showing them that a normal person can do that. So that's kind of where I go into it. And I think you telling your story like this, is going to do a similar thing for people to go, actually, I might need to address the fact that maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I should change the way I do things. I think that the yeah. difficulty, though, is as ultra runners, because we actually, Hillary, we, we did a, an episode on fitness addiction and it was a oh. lot of the same issues. But because ultra running takes up so much of our time the world is so busy that it's, it's quite hard to have a second outlet of of your personality to a certain extent or or at least something because a lot of of what we are as people is that pigeonhole in a pub of this is why i'm confident in who yeah. i am and that people will respect me and i think that's really hard when we do a sport that actually and and not even just ultra running if you want to do well at running and if you want to define yourself by your results even if you're doing 800 meters it's hours upon hours and so i guess that that challenge is how do you find something else that um that you can have alongside this sport without it consuming you that's it's such a good question and i you know like i it's such a strange and, and sometimes sad aspect of, of human life that we need we need to find our our community. Um, but you know, I I don't have an answer to your question. But what mm. I will say is that like the beautiful thing about ultra running in particular is that I think more so than anything else I've done, it gives space for all the different ways in which I am a human. And like, what I mean by that is like Mm. when, when I do that 24 hour race with Matt and Ben and Andrew and Nick there, I got all their names. But when I, when I do that 24 hour race with them, um, and like y'all have probably experienced this too, but like you go through, it's not even you go through peaks and valleys. Like you experience the most joyful elation um, at some of the oddest moments and you experience some of the deepest sorrow and like doubt and you experience grief and you experience um, suffering and you experience um, giggle fits and you hysteria and and <laughs> and like you 
that is sort of like why we 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 do it and like um because like you you don't like it gives so much space for all the many ways in which like it is it is like all the many ways in which you are a human being um and um it allows for them and so like i often think of like i often think of like that the time i spend um engaged in some sort of feat of extreme endurance to be like its own sort of version of a utopia um or as close to one as possible um because so many of the things that so many of the things that push us that have pushed me i can only speak for myself that have pushed me into shame or embarrassment or anger like they exist outside of that um and so like that's you know again i don't have an answer for your question but i do know that like that's why i keep doing Mm. that's why i keep running very long distances is because no other place in this world that is not that has given me what that does and and do you think for our listeners at home if if they're worried about people that they know or if they're potentially worried about themselves what 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 were the small things that started to change that actually were the start of needing this control and the change in how you viewed yourself that we could potentially look out for in others but also within ourselves yeah um to the extent that i can give advice because i'm still working on it but um I would say the first step is naming it. Um, and like the first step is like, it's, it's okay to say like, it's okay to like look in a mirror. There's a difference between looking in a mirror and looking at your face in the mirror and saying, I'm fat and saying, I think I'm fat. And like the second one, looking into the mirror and saying like, I think mm. I'm fat. At least it's like, what that does is it it places it 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 like it doesn't make it seem that you're judging yourself it makes you aware of it makes you aware of the fact that you're judging yourself um and like mm. that's the first step is to become aware of the fact that you're judging yourself and then like and then i think it's important like i have writing as an outlet but i have friends i have friends who are start like who I allowed myself to sort of like express this doubt to and express this judgment to. And like, if you trust your friends, like I know we were talking about how evil middle schoolers are or how evil adults mm -hmm. are, but like friends almost always come through. And like, if you put that, if you put that honesty into their hands, you know, they might not know exactly what to do with it, but they'll do something good with it. Um, and I think, like, that's that's what's important. And then, like, again, find your people. Um, and, like, whether that's the start line of an ultra marathon or whether that's, I don't know, somewhere in a pub somewhere. But, like, finding your people and finding the space um, where people, like when people begin to accept you for who you are and when people begin to not throw the same judgment at you that you throw at yourself, then like you start to unlearn a little bit of the judgment you throw at yourself. And like, and then I would suggest like 
I don't follow hardly any runners on Instagram because like I'm learning that I don't need to. Um, and, um, that it's okay it's okay not to and it, it's um not to compare yourself unnecessarily i think is or yeah. just not to compare yourself full stop there is no unnecessarily yeah. it's totally yeah. unnecessary yeah. to compare yourself to anyone yeah, yeah. And, and like that's that's the sad thing is like that's sort of the active advice i would give people is like the world isn't gonna stop throwing images of people who don't look like you at you like the world will carry on being it's shitty whatever self and like and your instagram feed or your whatever website you go to will often be littered with you know with photos of people who make you feel perhaps some some degree of shame about it and like um and and so it's okay to just turn that off and i think particularly for men for men who feel that they have some degree of shame about their body, it's like the first step is like you got to allow yourself and give yourself permission to feel shame because shame is not a kind of weakness. Um, and men, I think, have a tendency to view any kind of weakness as as a weakness, as like a, mm. as a thing they should judge themselves for. And like shame is not a weakness. Shame is your body and your mind reacting to difference between how you perceive yourself and 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 how the how you think the world perceives you and like shame exists always and like to name it as shame and to and and to to start to speak about it is actually a courageous thing to do um, and not a weak thing to do and and if we if there's someone who we suspect may be having difficulty or, or having issues, would you recommend a certain approach for us of how we can help them and communicate with them? Um, I, well, first I wouldn't, I'm not an expert, but I, I can only think about what I wish someone would have said to me. And it, I, I, I guess I simply wish that at some point people had just simply asked how, how do you feel about yourself? Um, and like to ask questions of other people to not assume to say like, Hey, how are you feeling um, about yourself? Like um, I wouldn't directly say like, how do you feel about your body? But I like, how are you feeling about yourself? Um, and, and, and to always like acknowledge people for what, for what they you know, acknowledge people for who they are and, 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 and how they present themselves and what they do well, you know, well at, and, um, to thank people for being in your presence, um, and to tell people, you know, what you learn from them each day. Um, mm. um, I'm grateful for the moments when people just simply acknowledge my presence, um, and, and, and acknowledge my humanness. Um, and, um, but, uh, yeah, um, to give people space to talk about things. There's a difference between like giving people to say, how are you feeling? And like to let someone elaborate on that versus to assume that they're feeling a certain way and just say like, you're not fat. Don't feel that way. You should, I would never, I would argue never to tell someone they, they shouldn't feel a certain way mm-hmm. because like when you feel a type of way, like that's not going to stop, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just because someone told you not to. Um, but again, like, uh, humans are wildly complex and um and i'm still learning how to figure out myself um so and how do you because i I think that the difficult one of the difficult aspects of this is that for a lot of people getting lighter 
can result in faster times and so we're all aware of that and um but that that, but that still puts you in that danger area and it's it's obviously that might be something that a coach wants to communicate um and actually if people are you know a very high level then that is a factor of their success which is which could fundamentally you know be incredibly important to everyone involved so how do you think we can how, how do you think we can responsibly communicate or responsibly manage or responsibly coach people yeah that's probably the most difficult question you've asked and i i think that that's i like that's the that's that problem will always exist in running or any sport but particularly in running when like yeah like there there is to some degree a correlation between i would or, like how fit you are and mm. and and how fast you are and if if you're if you're if you're if you're doing the sport primarily for like extrinsic extrinsic reasons and like and trying to shoot for times and goals and whatnot which like i still do to some extent like then yeah it's um it's going to be hard not to um engage in the self-talk or or like if you're a coach to to want the best for your athletes um and i i think like i i I don't know the answer but there is some very fine line between Mm. um and like that's why this is so complicated is like actually like like it isn't always about how light you are because you can get so you can get so skinny that it's a detriment to your health and you can get stress fractures or you can suffer from that and like mm-hmm. I know women women in large part particularly in college and high school suffer from that to a large degree and that's because of it's often because of pressure from coaches and other mm-hmm. athletes and so um you know it's like it's it's I like I would say it's about reframing the questions you ask for yourself instead of saying like how am I how am I being my instead of saying how am I being my fastest self today or how am I being my thinnest or lightest self today it's about saying like how am I being my healthiest self today how am I being um like my best self today and it's about defining like sitting down and really asking yourself like what is what does my best look like? And is my best really mm. about this time I'm shooting for? And like, and then it's about being honest with yourself because like, if it is, then like, yeah, you're probably going to have to make, if you're, especially if you're running at a really high level, you're going to have to make some degree of sacrifice. And, and that is always the tricky thing about talking about, about some of these issues is that like, in the end, some sacrifice to achieve, a degree of extrinsic greatness is almost always going to happen, mm. but it doesn't have to happen because you don't have to do it. Um, and and so, like you, I think if more of us really sat down and were honest with ourselves about our intentions, about what we want from the thing we're about to do, then we would see see all of us being healthier and kinder and more generous to each other. Um, yeah, this is so. one of the things I talk to people about a lot is the look the, the sitting down and asking yourself why you're doing it, like what why you want to complete this, why you go running, like do you want to, you yeah. know, 
get into the G- GB team for the marathon? Or and if you do do that, does that mean that you're not going to be able to run, you know, competitively for into your 50s or is it because you want to see the world or is it because you want to be an ultra runner or is it because you want to inspire people to do other stuff like if you can find that why it really brings down your um kind of self that bit that you pick to death about Mm. yourself because you're like i want to do this because of this and this is the way that i'm going to be able to do it and and in finding that why you kind of realize actually there's no way on earth i'm ever going to be as thin as that girl over there because i'm not built like that I've got bigger bones than her and got yeah. a bit of junk in my trunk because I'm an ultra runner <laughs> and, and I want to do this forever and I want to go further than I've been and I want to see the world on my feet and that's why I do it and I think once you've got that why down it really helps you to manage your expectations but yeah. also other people's if they've got something to say you can be like that's not my reason for doing this I, yeah. I think if you've got that why as well it's easier to redirect a why towards different avenues outside of running mm-hmm. because you can find fulfillment in in every in every way from all sorts of things um whereas if it is just a time or just a race or just a um a set line in the sand that's only focused to running then that's when you've got that danger of it overwhelming you i guess yeah yeah that's that's well put and and the why also can change and i think that that's okay too like Mm -hmm. my my why for why I go out on a run has changed from year to year. Um, and But the more, the older I get, the more generous and sort of, um, the more sort of centered around gratefulness the why has sort of become. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I, more and more I am, I run because I'm like, I run because I am grateful to be able to run. Um, and, um, and like that has allowed me to like slow down sort of my negative self-talk because like it's, I'm, my experience of the world is sort of centered, is trying to be centered around that, around being grateful for simply being able to be out there. Mm. Well, thank you so much for, for speaking so honestly on the podcast. And um, if if people want to get in touch with you or to follow your your reading and things like that, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, anyone can send me an email. Um, it's Devin Gail Kelly at Gmail. I'm also on Twitter um, at it's at the money I O, which is an old <laughs> lyric by the national it was one of those things i made that twitter handle so many years ago and now i'm stuck with it <laughs> and uh, that is a brilliant handle at that's least a, it's that's the a national ohio handle yeah yeah yes <laughs> it's blood Bus ohio handle yes i'm a national expert <laughs> beautiful it's so good to, to meet a fellow one yeah blood Bus ohio is my favorite song still is and so it is truly like a I made the Twitter handle because I thought I would have 50 followers who all love the national. And now <laughs> I am, now I am a writer who has a lot of strangers following me and I have to explain that handle every once in a while. But. <laughs> <laughs> and if, um, if people really do have issues, do you know of any helplines or, or things along that, that, that you've discovered that are useful? We, we, in the UK, we've got the Samaritans. You can always call about, about general worries what we'll try and find the the best resource for help to put in our group um but have you come across any good independent um organizations it's worth people reaching out to i i I have not i i wish i wish i knew some um and um you know like my 
my advice has been mostly subjective and it's it's um to write about it to write about it to begin to talk about it to begin to simply mm-hmm. like name it and voice it and um trust your friends to to carry a little bit of that load um so um yeah amazing well thank you so much for coming on devin thank and, uh, you thank you for having me and if you ever make it to the uk let us know we can go oh and, uh, man i can take you on, I, I can take you on an amazing 12-hour race where the aid station they call it the love station has gin beer cider on it and it's amazing everyone dresses as unicorns and it goes, what's it, oh, what's it called what's it called it's, it's, it's called the unicorn frolic and it's uh it, it's endorsed at white star running do these 12-hour frolics but their aid station always has beer on it regardless of distance and regardless of time of day it's um, <laughs> matt matt nick andrew ben and i will be there um Excellent. next year we will we will totally that sounds right up our alley <laughs> <laughs> well amazing thanks so much for coming on and uh Great. well i hope you, you mentioned that you, you you still have uh you know tendencies that you're you're battling with so I, we all wish you the the best of luck with staying on top of those thank you My pleasure. thank you so much for having me cheers Devin. have a good one bye, bye. Ah, what a lovely man. He's very lovely, isn't he? He's just an absolute dreamboat. Towards the end, when we started talking about the National, I was like, I might come over to New York quicker than you, (laughs) my friend. (laughs) That's the thing. It's it's interesting because your your perception of what body dysmorphia, it's really, I I I wouldn't say I had someone pictured in mind who I thought would have it, but I didn't think it would be him. It's you well, i mean usually i know very little about it but it's dysmorphia so it's something that you believe is real that isn't so it's not but it's again it's different from other like eating disorder type things like anorexia and bulimia and that sort of thing so it usually is to people that you don't that you, you don't think it would be which is why it's so dangerous especially with men because you know and the, when we were talking about what to do if you think that your friend might be struggling or someone you know i just thought if i said that to someone that i thought was first off they're super competitive already yeah secondly the the reaction i get is probably quite a negative one of no i'm fine st- don't talk to me about it like so you're yeah. reinforcing the their view they yeah. might think that you're reinforcing the view that they're fat slow weak whatever yeah. it may be yeah exactly and you know i think everyone's a bit guilty of not being very kind to themselves mm. um like i've always been i always had people say to me you don't look like a runner and i'm like okay that's that's fine but in the last two months lockdown the lockdown diet of running loads i've lost a lot of weight and i know i've lost a lot of weight probably a bit too much um but i always say to people you know no i've definitely got a bit of junk in my trunk like i've mm. got an arse on me and that's fine because that's where i store all of my snacks for ultra running i put my tunnocks in my bum and then i can eat them whenever i want to <laughs> And, um, but that's me, you know, I, I can look in the mirror and go, shit, you have lost quite a lot of weight, but mm. there'll always be a part of me that's like, yeah, but you have got a fat ass. And other people will be like, no, you haven't got a fat ass. But I, I know that I haven't got a fat ass in the way that other people see it, but it's just, I feel uncomfortable with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and actually, that's... you know, everyone's fat compared to someone exactly. and everyone's skinny compared to someone. And, but then I guess with body dysmorphia, it's not necessarily whether it's true or not. Um, no. And the other thing is, um, you know, certain people are blessed with being born 
to be a certain way like you yeah. are tall and skinny you will always be tall and skinny you're never going to get short and fat you're tall and skinny that's how it is and you know i was talking to somebody about this the other day about people we're talking about again we went into like the um, transgender argument of of but what if people enter virtual races and they say they're this and they're not and then they beat you and then how do you feel um and it's and we're talking about Michael Jordan. And I was like, Michael Jordan is a great basketball player because he is tall. <laughs> he, if he was five, if he was five foot one, he wouldn't be as good a basketball player as yeah. he was being who he is. Um, Netflix recommendation, The Last Dance. Uh, but, um, but you know, some people, I think, are just realizing that you are not everyone else. You are you are mm. you, and you've got genetic things in you that mean that you are going to be a bit shorter, or you are going to carry a bit more weight, or you are going to be a bit more big boned. Mm. But I think when it comes to dysmorphia, which ultimately is a mental illness, it's mm. a very difficult thing to get your head around. Mm. Yeah, and I, it's also difficult, I think, almost amongst our community because we we are a podcast, we are a group of of jokes, of people joking at each other. Mm. And I think what we do well is, is hopefully we embrace everything and we embrace everyone and we, we revel in, um, in eating tannocks and drinking beer and not being so obsessed with running. But then everyone likes to have a joke and typically the easiest joke to make is the most obvious one. And so mm-hmm. that tends to be physical. And yeah, I, I just don't know if you can make jokes about people's appearances ever without it potentially being really damaging um I, I i agree with you i think it's it's about how well you know that person how well that person knows themselves like i i have a nickname for james appleton and that nickname is the tubby jogger because he is neither tubby nor a jogger he's a mm. very fit fast runner and he has got the best legs i've ever seen male or female but i've called <laughs> him the tubby jogger a couple of times and he's been like what I'm like, please don't get upset. You know that you're the opposite of the tubby jogger. But it made me feel really mm. bad. And you have got to be really careful that, you know, that yeah. you don't do stuff that that might trigger people if they are suffering from from something to be like, oh, my God, like so-and-so thinks this of me. I, I need to, you know, stop eating Jaffa cakes. When actually, if you're running 50 miles, you need to eat a tube of Jaffa cakes. Um, yeah. And actually, I had that exact circumstance where an ex-girlfriend of mine um I made some comments about her weight, which is obviously a, a, an obvious no-no, except to me, it was along the James Apperton line of, I can say this because it's quite funny in the circumstances, and it's patently obvious to everyone that you are absolutely gorgeous and have no weight issues. But I hadn't actually realised that she used to have uh, issues with her with, with her weight. And um, and actually, it was it was incredibly damaging what I was doing. It's reinforcing all those those previous feelings and emotions she's had as a kind of a teenager. And so, yeah, I I just I just don't think you can. I mean, the one if anyone wants to make uh, jokes about my hair color, that is absolutely fine um, because I really don't care. But I think you almost need someone to say explicitly that about a subject before you can make jokes whether that's people being bald whether that's you know whatever it may be um but particularly weight um because it's the, the other thing about weight right is that it is a societal 
problem mm. because we assume that if you're fat, it's bad. Yeah. If, and what is fat? What is that? Everyone needs fat, right? You need fat to survive. Mm. You need it for and, vitamins. Yeah, and I think that storage and yeah. If the, the minute you say, oh, you know, I don't know, Dave, the fat guy, it's a negative connotation. Mm. It's not all, you know, with women, they get described as bubbly or fun. Mm. That means fat um, in today's kind of semiotics and society and the way that we talk about people. Mm. And I think I think it, we need to take that away. It doesn't matter what size you are. If you if you like running, you like running and you are a runner. It doesn't matter what size you are. It's, it's when you get to that level, that kind of slightly more elite more competitive more serious level where you have other people telling you you have to do this in order to be mm. faster or better that it can get to the point where people become completely obsessed with it um but, you but do, i, I could imagine you get that obsession even at a smaller level and it just comes out to self-worth doesn't it yeah yeah i mean um, I, i've always been a i've always had a nightmare relationship with food in that it's, when i get depressed instead of comfort eating i don't eat at all i went through mm. a period when uh, i was about 28 of I went for about four months of just eating bananas and ice pops. I was so depressed. Oh, I drank a lot of beer as well, but it's only it's just sugar water, isn't it? So, and I got so small um, because I, I wasn't a runner at that point, and it wasn't until I started running that I realised that my body needs fuel. And if you, you know, I've always I always say to people, you wouldn't run your car up a hundred miles with only like twenty miles worth of fuel in the tank because you're going to break down. And that's exactly how I see my body now, which means that with food, I don't have a problem with it anymore because I'm like, I need to put this in to get the energy out. Um, and that's trans like transcribed itself into the rest of my life basically. And if I feel like I'm a little bit porky for want of a better word, then I will do something about it. But mm. I don't think anyone could ever say anything to me that would make me go, Oh my God, like I need to lose a stone because that's all fuel and it comes and goes but it it will go because i i am an ultra runner so it will be used yeah and things but even now i well especially now like this is this is the heaviest i've ever been and i know that most people who see me won't realize that because as you say i'm a, a tall thin guy but I, i'm struggling somewhat in that i can do zero exercise and when I get back to running, I want to be fast. I want to be fit. And I'm aware that every, every pound that I put on now is, is, is because I'm not putting on any muscle is essentially weight to slow me down. And so I, I like to be in control of, of, of what I do quite a lot. Um, and I've got a lot of self self will, so I, I'm aware that I need to be careful of not just thinking, right, no more food for me, which part of me would do it to prove that I can do it almost. Yeah, but ultimately, you're, you're also, you've got to remember that you're also injured and you also need to heal your body. And to heal your body, you have to put food into it. You can always, when you get back to running, get rid of those pounds. You can get rid of them. You've got to do one thing at a time at the moment because you're not going to go straight mm. back into running. And so you're not going to go straight back into smashing out six and a half minute miles. You're going to have to teach yourself how to do it again. It will take a little bit of time. And I think that's the other thing with people. Be realistic. Um, mm. don't set unrealistic expectations for yourself don't want to don't try and go and bust out a 245 marathon just because bobbin accounts has because bobbin accounts may well be f two foot taller than you and, and have completely different genetics to you it's like this what we were talking about really the other week on the podcast you know for women versus men we are all guilty of comparing ourselves to other people and comparison is the thief of joy it takes all joy from everything mm. like I've been eating Strava a lot more in lockdown and it's actually, I'm like, oh, I really don't want to be looking at Strava anymore because I just compare myself to loads of other people 
without looking at them. And, you know, I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning it. I like to compare myself to Susie Chan on her runs. And I'm like, <laughs> she's so much quicker than me. And she, then I'm like, hang on a minute, her elevation in her runs is 35 foot and mine is 1,862 foot. So there's a difference. Plus, look at the state of her, look at the state of me. I'm a slow ultra runner. That's what I do. And, and that's cool. But I think you need to not just go, I'm going to get back to full fitness and lose this weight. You need to go, my body needs to be healed. I'm going to heal it by being kind to myself. And, you know, once you're back, once you're back to being able to go out, go out and get rid of it, but don't do anything awful. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think it comes because even if, even if you were quicker than Susie Chan, um, what happens when you get inches and you haven't got that, that so why do I want to be? Why have I just randomly chosen? <laughs> I've got lots of other people. Like, she's at the top of the feed. I'll use yeah. her to make myself feel like shit, shall I? Yeah, Susie, you're destroying people's lives, Susie. What have you become? She also sent me three boxes of Tullock's tea cakes uh, <laughs> yesterday with no note in them. So she obviously knows that she's my nemesis, and now she's trying to make. <laughs> she's trying to chub you up. And I've eaten the whole box today. <laughs> yeah but you're fueling for that ultra but um but yeah i think ultimately and and this is what the another podcast i'd recommend if you haven't listened to this one if if, if this is something that you want to find out more is is the hillary um corfillary hillary i can't remember Corfin, I, I think her we name was had uh, one hillary so it's the hillary we have one hillary the hillary episode and and it was very similar conclusion there where um is that if you what you have to just be aware of of when something changed from a desire to a need that is where you're in the danger zone and actually if we want to protect ourselves from this we do need to have more than one outlet in our life and if we become so focused on just running then that leaves us in a position where we can have everything taken away from us very easily um and that's and why triathletes are so happy that's right <laughs> because they're like oh not very good at this i'll go for a swim or oh, not very good at that i'll go for a bike ride i can not still float that. i'll be all right yeah that's they're always so happy yeah bloody triathletes <laughs> so um well thanks for listening guys and if you enjoyed that episode we've mentioned the hillary one um we've not really had many other episodes like it um but let's let's recommend a a very frivolous joyful one um ian mcnamara i know that we've mentioned him in a while he drunkenly took on a bet that he'd run a marathon having done no running whatsoever and he proceeded to do so and then documented in a very funny way how horrific that was for him so if you want to make yourself feel better <laughs> go and listen to ian <laughs> or any of the dean carnet's ones because they're always funny yeah funniest ones i love those they make me laugh so much i'm like this guy's great i want him to be my best friend yeah 100 percent. and actually having spoken about um he he spoke about cbd oil recently so if you want to talk talk about drugs and running there you go um well thanks for listening guys if you like this episode please do subscribe please do leave us a a five-star rating on itunes or stitcher it really does help us get future guests on if there's someone or if there's someone you'd like us to interview on a, a topic you'd really like us to discuss then get in the facebook group and tag us if you'd like to put questions to future guests follow us on instagram because we often put out who we're going to be interviewing ahead of time so you can then ask your questions directly to them and uh, if you want to be part of a, a warm hug of a community then join the bad boy running club which ali knows all about i am the chairperson of the club 
I let you in. It's great. We are now one of the biggest virtual running clubs in the UK. And uh, lockdown's been great for us because we've grown exponentially. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, cl- it's bad. No, it's club. <laughs> bad boy run, bad, anyway, go on the internet and search for Bad Boy Running Club uh, and get your EA affiliated membership now while they're hot. <laughs> Thanks, Lucy, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye 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 Yes, and give me one more try Cause a love like this Should I never ever die Come back Fuck you, buddy